Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. to Reaching Out Radio and this week's live broadcast of The Way of Healing. My name is Susan Brozak and I'm a licensed clinical Christian psychotherapist and founder of Healing Word Psychotherapy Services, my private practice in Mequon, Wisconsin. Thank you for joining me this evening. Tonight we're going to be looking at overcoming depression and how as a Christian we can deal with depression. This will be part one in a series of three different broadcasts. So let's just start out tonight with some simple definitions to kind of ease our way into this topic. And it is a big topic and one that's often complex. So one of my goals tonight with you is just to give you some basic uh, understanding of uh, what constitutes depression, the different types of depression, uh, the causes, uh, the results. And we are going to let the Holy Spirit lead us as we have this discussion tonight. We also want to offer hope, Lord, and just asking that the Lord right now would just touch anyone who's going through depression. Lord, we pray that this broadcast, Lord, would minister to their hearts, that you would just instill hope into their beings, Lord God, and that the words that are spoken this evening, Lord God, um, would just bring a renewed sense of faith, Lord, a renewed sense, Lord, of your presence and your healing power and your ability and desire to heal. And we thank you for what you're going to do in and through this tonight. And uh, we offer all this up to you for your glory in your glorious and holy name. Amen. Just wanted to make sure that we uh, invited the Lord into everything that we're going to be doing and saying tonight and wanted to open up with uh, that prayer for anybody who may in particular need to know that the Lord is here with us and, and he desires to heal you. So just to begin with a, a basic definition, depression has kind of been called in, in my field the common cold of mental illness. And um, it's also been characterized as anger turned inward. Um, we'll kind of unpack both of those things a bit more uh, later on. But depression literally means a pressing down or a sinking in. So I'd like to start this evening by explaining to you some myths and some facts about depression. We're going to start tonight with the myths. Myth number one is that depression always results from sin or lack of faith in God. Uh, this is a very... Uh, damaging and and hurtful myth to many people, and unfortunately, I've seen the results of people with depression being judged on having been depressed or on being depressed um, and being told that it's a result of uh, their sin or something they've done sinfully, a besetting sin, or that they don't have enough faith in God because 
if they did, then certainly they wouldn't be depressed. Um, this is not the case with depression, and so it has caused um, a lot of issues in people that are already suffering with it, and then to be told that on top of it um, sometimes can be sort of the final straw. Um, myth number two is that depression is caused by self-pity. While it is true that self-pity can result from depression, um, it's rarely uh, at the root of depression, if ever. Um, so that's also a myth. Uh, myth number three is that um, it is a sin for a Christian to be depressed. Um, and that's kind of the same thing as saying it is a sin for a Christian to feel anger. Um, we know that Christ himself was angry when he overturned uh, the money changers' tables uh, and um, accused uh, them of turning his father's house into a den of thieves. So if Christ, who was without sin, could uh, express anger and feel anger, then certainly um, we should not be assuming that it's a sin for, for us as his children to feel depression or to be depressed. So that's a, another myth that, that unfortunately is widely circulated. Um, and the fourth myth is that if a Christian is depressed, he or she must not have a very strong walk with the Lord. So this one implies um, some blame on the part of that person who's suffering from depression that, hey, if they just had you know a stronger fellowship with God and were tighter with the Lord that they wouldn't have... Uh, any any problems in this area and and certainly I think we all know that logically none of these uh, really um, you know are are in tune with the reality of the situation but but unfortunately uh, they are the beliefs that many people hold perhaps out of ignorance perhaps out of what they've been told uh, there's a number of reasons that people can come to believe these things but but please know that they're detrimental um, to the person who is suffering from depression, which is a very, a very real and actually a fairly common um, diagnosis. So we, we all may have come to believe some of these myths over time, uh, but as I said, um, all of them are false. They also contribute to the negative stigma that depression tends to carry, and they can cause shame in the person who's suffering. Um, so we need to be careful about how we approach this subject so that we don't add further shame onto the pain that's already being caused in a person with depression. Um, now let me tell you about a few facts um, regarding depression. So fact number one about depression is that it's actually a global problem. So one in three people around the world will suffer from major depression at some point in their lives, according to the latest research. That doesn't mean that one in three people around the world have depression all the time. What this statistic is saying is that one in three will have an, an episode of major depression at one point or another in their lives. Um, so that's a 33% of the world's population, um, which is a very significant percentage, um, too, about depression. It's estimated that by the year 2020, which is less than a year and a half away, uh, depression will be the greatest disability worldwide. So again, we're seeing that things are trending more and more in the direction um, of this, and along with that 
comes many antidepressant pharmaceuticals, which is another topic in and of itself that I won't be touching on tonight. Um, but some of those pharmaceutical meds for depression are helpful for short courses of time, and others can actually be detrimental in that they can cause the very thing that, that you're taking them to to help ameliorate or improve upon. So some side effects of psychotropic meds can actually make depression worse. So that's the, the catch-22 when we're dealing with pharmaceutical uh, treatment regimes. Fact number three about depression is that two-thirds of the people experiencing depression never get help because most are ashamed to ask for it. And that, for for me as a therapist, is, is particularly um, disheartening to hear because I always say to the people that walk through my door that they are some of the strongest believers that I've ever known. The fact that they've had the courage and the bravery and strength to acknowledge that they have an issue in their life and then to take an action step and do something about that by by getting professional help based on uh, biblical doctrine is something that is done by people that are strong, certainly not uh, by anyone who feel, should feel shame for having undergone an episode or a season or a lifetime even of depression. So. Um, when you're in so deep, it can be the hardest time to ask for help, but it's also the most critical time to ask for help as well. Fact number four, uh, depression usually begins in the early to mid-30s. And this is true, although there are definite exceptions. That's typically when it begins. Fact number five, it's fairly common among the elderly. And fact number six, morning is often the worst time of day for those who are depressed. They tend to have the greatest difficulty just getting going in the morning, having the motivation to get out of bed and get their day started. So although depression can also hit hard at night, um, statistics show that, that mornings are typically even harder. Fact number seven, depression among children and adolescents has increased dramatically in the last 50 to 70 years. So we're seeing an increase uh, in this amongst that population as well. Fact number eight, children are becoming depressed at earlier and earlier ages. And there are some hypotheses regarding that um, that hopefully we'll have time to go into uh, in one of the remaining broadcasts on overcoming depression. Uh, fact nine, during adolescence, almost twice as many boys as girls are diagnosed with depression. And this is likely because boys and males in general tend to be societally trained to really suppress uh, emotional pain and suppress uh, the expression of, expression of emotion. So it's likely then uh, more so in, in cases for them that they're not talking about their feelings. And when depression is, is pushed down and, and not discussed and brought out into the open, it can actually become worse for the person. Fact number 10, uh, people, are frequently, um, people frequently need help to get out of depression. They're unable to help themselves if it gets too severe. And I alluded to this before, um, that the, the uh, irony is, is that the more depressed a person gets, the more help they need, yet the less likely is their ability to obtain that help. So that's one of the reasons why it's so important to catch depression early on, um, if at all possible. And that can usually be diagnosed um, 
kind of in the beginning stages before it gets too severe by uh, a mental health professional. And fact number 11, a person who has one untreated bout with depression runs a 50-50 risk of a second occurrence of depression within three years. So unfortunately, the way that our brains are wired, depression tends to build upon itself. The more episodes that you have, the more likely you are to have another episode. And that's the unfortunate element to it as well. And finally, uh, fact number 12 uh, for depression is coping skills can somewhat determine the length of depression or a depressive episode. So for example, if a person has good coping skills, the depression will usually be shorter than if the person has poor coping skills. Those who suffer with depression and have poor coping skills oftentimes develop more chronic and long-term depression that require professional care. And as a side note, it's the opinion of some Christians, interestingly, that the most depressed people aren't necessarily unbelievers in the world, but are Christians in the church body who have not yet discovered or aren't aware yet of the fact that God has a specific purpose and plan for their lives within his kingdom. So they go through the motions, so to speak, and they aren't experiencing that fulfillment that comes with realizing the role that God has for them, which really is the ultimate satisfaction that a person feels when they know that they're fulfilling the call that Christ has put on their lives. And we'll break this down further later on. I'd like to explain now a little bit more about depression and help you get an understanding of what depression really is and means. As I stated before, depression is literally defined as a pressing down or a sinking in. And it's also interchanged within Christian circles with the term oppression. But oppression typically refers to uh, spiritual warfare elements that have to do with um, coming under uh, fire from the enemy's camp where we feel um, sort of defeated and up against a wall when we are um, having a battle in terms of spiritual warfare. So although they they can at times manifest in similar ways, their sources tend to be a little bit different. Um, and so that's kind of a just a differentiation between um, clinical depression versus spiritual oppression. Um, it may be difficult to tell at first, at least on the surface, if, so, if someone is truly depressed. Uh, because they might be ashamed of their depression, they may try to hide it by smiling and putting on a good face. And there's even a name for this in the clinical field, and it's called, believe it or not, smiling depression. We often think, well, I'm a Christian, I should not be depressed, or why am I depressed since I'm a Christian? Unfortunately, depression can be seen sometimes as a very stigmatizing or shaming label. And I just want to encourage you um, that if you are aware of someone in your life or someone you know of, a loved one perhaps, that's struggling with depression, the last thing that that person needs is to be shamed or negatively labeled or or gossiped about uh, if they are struggling. They really need your support, um, just as you would need support if you yourself are the one struggling with it right now. So there are actually many scriptural examples that deal with 
people in the Bible who um, wrestled with depression. And I'm just going to name a few of those for you. And in the interest of time, I won't go into great detail, but I'll just briefly mention a few. So Moses, in Exodus chapter 18, he was overcome with the pressures of leadership, and he let that get to the best of him. Um, Elijah, and most of us are familiar with this from 1 Kings 19, was running from Queen Jezebel after the victory on Mount Carmel. Um, Jonah, in Jonah chapter 4, was wanting to die after the salvation of Nineveh. And David, in Psalm 69, was hiding in the wilderness from Saul. So that's just to name a few. And although the Bible doesn't use the specific word depression, it does use the word downcast. And an example of this is found in Psalm 42:11, and, and many of us are probably familiar with this verse, and it says, Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the help of my countenance and my God. So it's interesting to note that the original Hebrew word for downcast is strong number 7817, for those of you that like to do the exegetical work. Um, during these broadcasts, and that means to sink down or to depress. It can be translated as bend, bow down, cast down, crouch, humble oneself, be brought low, or to stoop. It's interesting to note that this first mention has the translation of the health of my countenance, and we know that our countenance is our facial expression. So when we're depressed, our countenance or our face tends to be down and lowered. So scripture does have a lot to say about being downcast and depressed. And depression, I believe, has been around since the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. And I believe it's just been characterized differently or maybe termed by different phrases. But depression literally can close you in and make you want to isolate yourself from contact with other people. You tend to want people to leave you alone and you don't want to have to deal with social situations. And as I stated before, your countenance changes. So some more of the observable symptoms of a person with depression can include someone who, whose head hangs kind of low, maybe the posture is downward, their eyes are lowered, their, their gait or their, their walking pace might be slowed down also. Um, their, their mouth might be in a frown-type position. So really every aspect of their countenance and even body posture and appearance can be seen as literally pressed down. And for some people with depression, they even will complain that their hands get cold. So there's a, um, there's a physiological element there that, that's also present in some people with depression that I think is worth noting. So these are all... Um, you know, visible and observable and manifest uh, symptoms of an inward issue, um, which is, uh, you know, internal depression. And God has, has knit us together in such a way that whatever is, is tr troubling us or, or um, disturbing us inwardly tends to have an outward manifestation of some kind in our physical being. And I talked a bit about that during my first broadcast called uh, What's on Your Mind Part 1, um, where we discussed the way that designed us to operate as an integrated being. And so we need to be aware that um, all parts of ourselves affect each other in one form or another. And it's important to be aware of that. 
So I'd like to continue now in discussing symptoms of depression. Most of us will have some of these symptoms from time to time just in the course of our lives. Uh, in and of themselves, they don't necessarily constitute a full depression. Um, if you're looking at diagnosing uh, in terms of being a diagnostician and getting a professional diagnosis, what we look at is the number of symptoms, the frequency of those symptoms, and the duration of those symptoms. So those are all typically considered when determining whether or not a person is suffering from a clinical depression. So I'll go through with you now some of the main symptoms, and I want to encourage you here, this is not meant to um, cause you to try to self-diagnose. If you feel you really are in the middle of a depression or a depressive episode, it is important to be evaluated by um, a trained diagnostician, a trained clinician um, at a professional level because many times we cannot see our own uh, our own struggles with any objectivity. So we really need that neutral third party to be able to make an accurate diagnosis. Um, so some of the symptoms that are seen with depression are low energy and fatigue, uh, poor appetite, or on the contrary, an unusually strong appetite, insomnia or hypersomnia, meaning too little or too much sleep, low self-esteem, poor concentration or difficulty making decisions, feelings of guilt, helplessness, hopelessness, or worthlessness, persistent sadness and a pessimistic attitude, a loss of interest in normal activities that would normally bring satisfaction, weight loss or gain of more than 15 pounds within a month's time frame, slowed movements and slow speech, overly sensitive to issues and overreactions to events, agitation and irritability, and also suicidal ideation or suicidal thinking. I'd like to share with you now some questions that can help you determine whether or not you or someone you might know might be experiencing some early stages of depression. And again, understand that taken individually, none of these in and of themselves indicate depression, and they're certainly not meant to provide a formal diagnosis that can only be done by a mental health professional. Uh, but for the sake of uh, providing you with education on this topic tonight, some questions that you can look at include, are you tired even when you've had plenty of sleep? Do you have difficulty getting yourself up in the morning? Do you accomplish less than you would want to? Is your motivation deficient? Do you accomplish uh, less in longer periods of time? Are you restless? Have you lost interest in normal activities? Are you unable to make anything other than simple decisions? Um, do you often have feelings of dread? And I need to, to just break in here for a minute and say a word about dread. This is something that um, is more insidious and, and really dangerous to good mental health than we might realize. And we hear the word dread a lot, such as I, I dread going to such and such event this weekend or I dread having to, you know, do this or that or and so forth. And the, the problem with dread is that it puts you through something twice emotionally. So you go through it the first time while you're dreading it. You're kind of catastrophizing making the worst case scenario about what it is that, that's, that you have to do upcoming. Um, you're, you're labeling it negatively and you're feeling those negative emotions as a result of that. 
So then when you go through the actual event itself that you have been dreading, you're putting yourself and your body and your mind and emotions through that event again. So you're literally going through it twice. So I, I caution patients all the time about dread. It's, it's something that takes needless and unnecessary amounts of energy from you, and it's not how the Lord would have us anticipate anything in the future because his mercies are new every morning and his grace is fresh at each moment. So by dreading, we're, we're really wasting energy and, and it does spiral into negative thinking which can contribute to depression as well. So just to keep that in mind next time you catch yourself dreading. Um, other questions that you can ask yourself regarding um, early symptoms. Are you extra critical of yourself? Do you feel inferior or inadequate to other people? Do you spend a lot of time daydreaming? Does your mood fluctuate often or for long periods of time? So there are also questions that can help you kind of assess whether there's a more severe element of depression going on. And, and these questions would include more serious manifestations of depression, such as, are you crying often? Um, have your sleeping habits changed dramatically? Does it take you longer to fall asleep? And do you wake up much earlier or more frequently during the night? Do you have uh, issues with uh, losing weight without having dieted? Food make you nauseous. Do you feel guilty most of the time? And do you think about uh, ways that your life might end? Do you feel that you're in a fog and that things are surreal or, or unreal? Um, are you not able to concentrate? And do you repeat, repeatedly go over certain negative thoughts, as we've discussed in our last broadcast on automatic negative thoughts? So I would submit to you today that um, if any of these things are going on in your life or in the life of, of someone that you know or love, that, that you would um, speak to them about it and, and try to um, steer them in a, in a good direction for some formal biblical, uh, biblically-based counsel and therapy. Um, at this point, I'd like to, to posit to you that the number one cause of depression, in my opinion and the opinion of many clinicians, is a lack of hope. And I base this personally on Proverbs 13:12, which states that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And clearly, a sick heart is a depressed heart. So I'll go into the issue of hope in more detail um, in the next broadcast in two weeks. Um, I'd like to continue now, though, to share with you some other key causes that may lead to depression. And again, these may or may not result in depression in every case. It depends upon severity and frequency, like I explained earlier. And in and of themselves, these aren't necessarily symptoms of depression, but they can be. The whole picture, though, needs to be looked at when you're assessing for any type of mental health issue. So another possible cause um, of depression is distorted thinking. And we mentioned this. Um, in the last two broadcasts as well. And interestingly, one of the dictionary definitions from Random House of depression states that it is, quote, emotional dejection greater than that warranted by any objective reason. This shows that our perceptions become skewed out of proportion when we begin to experience depression. In other words, we lose perspectives 
on our lives when we're depressed. There's an old saying that says, when you're holding a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And it can be applied to depression in the sense that when you're depressed, your circumstances are going to appear much more dire, much more challenging. Your trials will appear um, deeper and um, sometimes impossible because you're already in a condition in which neurophysiologically speaking, you're not able to view life from an objective perspective. You're now viewing life from the perspective of a depressed person and your thoughts are flowing in that direction more often than they normally would. So the neurological quote-unquote rut and the mechanics of depressing thoughts actually create a biochemical groove in our brain which makes it easier and easier for other negative thoughts to flow. And it's they deepen this groove until it becomes automatic and second nature for us to think negatively and pessimistically, as I discussed in detail during the first show. Also, our thinking and our interpretation regarding events determines our response to those events. So the labels that we give events can be very powerful in terms of whether they elicit a negative emotional response from us or a positive emotional response. And once our thinking begins to focus on negative or self-defeating ideas, it's kind of the beginning of the downward spiral of depression. So the event itself is rarely the problem. It's mainly our reaction and our labeling of that event, which can become problematic. Um, there's something known in this field as the four Ds. And basically what, what they stand for is as follows. Um, it's the first one is disappointment. So just throughout the course of, of life and really throughout the course of each day, we, we likely are going to face disappointments to one degree or another. That's inevitable. Uh, there's nothing pathological about being disappointed. What happens, though, from there is if we don't deal with it at the time, um, we can then spiral down. So a good uh, phrase that I've heard some television evangelist uses that when you are disappointed, it's good to right away try to get reappointed. In other words, uh, try to focus your mind on something else and, and reframe the situation and uh, begin to let your thoughts flow in a positive direction and, and look forward to something else, even if there was a disappointment that occurred. So that's kind of our choice point. Disappointment is inevitable, but what we do with it is optional. What we do with it is a result of the choice of our will. So if we don't deal with disappointment, uh, it can then lead into discouragement. And the word discouragement literally means to lose heart. So if we've gone from disappointment to discouragement, this, we're getting further down on that slippery slope that I metaphorically refer to. Um, so if we sit in discouragement, it then can lead us into depression. And if we sit in depression long enough, we can get led into despair or a, what's considered clinically a major depressive episode that sometimes requires inpatient treatment. So that is the danger of not dealing with disappointment in a way that is healthy and that is timely. And so I always encourage my patients, you know, once you get disappointed, you've got that choice to make of whether you're going to let it lead you down into discouragement, depression, and despair, or if you're going to stop it there and give it over to the Lord and ask him to help lift your mood and to see the situation through his eyes and kind of get reappointed. So um, kind of moving forward with other 
reasons for depression, there isn't always a deep emotional reason for it. Sometimes it's due to a physical cause. And just to name a few of these, um, they might include things such as not getting enough sleep, not getting enough exercise, bad eating habits, meaning eating too much junk food or unhealthy foods in the diet. Sometimes the depression is due to a medication reaction, as I spoke earlier about pharmaceutical uh, drugs. Um, sometimes it's due to anemia, alcohol abuse, diabetes, cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, low adrenal function, low thyroid function is an often overlooked cause of depression hypothyroidism, uh, recreational drugs, street drugs, chronic pain, and even heart disease. So these medical conditions can all have the potential to cause depression, not saying that they do in every case, but dealing with conditions like this certainly can predispose someone uh, to depression and, and they should be ruled out by a medical doctor. Um, so I'd like to say uh, a little bit about the role of serotonin. So bear with me a bit here. This gets a little technical, uh, but I believe that it's, it's important for you to understand the role of serotonin in depression. And serotonin is something known as a neurotransmitter, which is found in the brain. It's a part of the chemical composition of your brain that functions as a messenger between the nerve endings. So when serotonin levels are low, which can actually occur when you eat too much sugar or processed foods, smoke, drink excessive alcohol and caffeine, then the brain will actually not function up to par. And this will also cause the body to not function at its best. So serotonin levels in our brain are key in terms of how they affect our mood, our sleep, and how strongly we experience pain and in the pain receptors uh, that are uh, built within our nervous system. So serotonin even affects our appetite. Therefore, not having enough serotonin can lead to depression, anxiety, cravings for certain foods, especially sweets, um, sugars, and starches. Um, it can also lead to insomnia, a lack of serotonin can, possibly even chronic pain and migraine headaches. So uh, chronic fatigue syndrome is also something that that is the result of uh, a deficiency in serotonin, as is uh, premenstrual syndrome and even uh, some eating disorders. So by using brain imaging techniques and brain scans, researchers, researchers seen um, inadequate serotonin in people who are experiencing depression. expected for decades that such a link between depression and a serotonin deficiency has, has existed, but they didn't have any direct visual evidence until more recently. So in order for the body to make enough serotonin, it needs tryptophan, which is an essential amino acid. And next time I'll give you some examples of some food sources that contain tryptophan. Um, continuing now with our look at key causes of depression and kind of wrapping up for tonight, um, we want to talk a bit about another big area that can lead to some symptoms of depression, and that is living in an unbalanced way, living an unbalanced life where you're much too busy and full of stress. So you may have heard the expression, excess is the devil's playground. You know, extremes can be very detrimental to our emotional and physical health. And they can really wear us out, both emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically. 
So whenever we're operating in an extreme or often either ditch, as I sometimes refer to it, we become more vulnerable to uh, the attacks from the enemy's camp as well. Um, so we need to really challenge ourselves to maintain balance in every area of our lives. And there's something known as the HALT principle that many of you may be familiar with. It's an acronym, H-A-L-T, and it stands for hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. So anytime that our flesh gets out of balance in any one of those four ways or any combination of those ways, we are automatically rendered more vulnerable to reactivity, to just reacting out of the first thing that comes to mind, um, to not being able to think things through in an objective way with, with a godly perspective. And, and those are all factors that if they are kept unchecked, can lead us into a path of depression, um, at least until we, we recognize them and correct them and turn them around. So we, again, it's, it's so important that we maintain a balance in these areas of our lives. Scripture emphasizes this in 1 Peter 5, 8, which is a well-known verse, and you'll probably recognize it. It states, be, be a sober spirit, and in some translations it says, well-balanced and alert, for your adversary the devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So you can tell if you're depressed due to lack of balance because suddenly things that you used to enjoy doing, now you're no longer interested in them and, and almost can develop a resentment toward those things. You no longer experience the same level of fulfillment or satisfaction in things you used to enjoy doing when, you're, when you've reached a point of burnout or you're out of balance and, and too stressed in some areas. Other causes of depression uh, can include perceived rejection or the way that you respond to rejection can cause a lot of depression in and of itself. It can cause you to feel unwanted, devalued, and unloved. So depression and rejection tend to go hand in hand oftentimes in people. Um, other causes of uh, depression include difficult stances, life events, situations, things that are really outside of your control, and this is known as situational or circumstantial depression. So you might come down with an illness that's prolonged that you weren't anticipating, or you might be facing, let's say, a foreclosure on your house, or you might have lost a job, things that um, occur in life that are, are very trying situations can also lead a person um, down the path of negative thoughts, which eventually um, can lead into um, low mood and depression. Also, um, long-term negative belief systems, and we talked about this before, such as anger and unforgiveness, um, can cause depression. As I mentioned at the beginning of this broadcast, um, one of the definitions in my field for depression is anger turned inward. In other words, angry feelings that have never been given expression, that have never been allowed to be let out, can be bound up inside and can cause depression. Unforgiveness can be a source of it. Previous failures and shame-based thinking or shame-based comments that may have been made to you by people that maybe you respected, and now you're hearing... Um, you're hearing comments coming that, uh, that go right into your heart and you internalize those. If you don't deal with that, that offense or, and, and if you don't deal with those things at the time and you let it sit in your spirit, it can absolutely bring you down. 
There's also something called self-rejection, which refers to not liking yourself. And it, it's really important that we as human beings like ourselves. And, and part of the reason for that is we are the person that we'll never get away from, right? Everywhere you go, there you are. <laughs> so, you know, in Scripture, it talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. And it's not the kind of love that's puffed up or Eric or here I am, you lucky people, or anything like that. It's really the kind of love that's a healthy understanding of your value in Christ and that allows for grace and room for error. So it's also not a harsh, judgmental love for ourselves that God wants us to have either. It's a grace-based love that he wants for us. Um, Other causes of depression, as we wrap up here, can be comparing yourself with other people. I always say that that lack of contentment um, is uh, something that immediately results from comparison. The, the minute you begin to compare yourself with someone else, you lose your contentment and joy about the, the blessings that God has given you in your life. And the way out of that is to be deliberately and intentionally grateful and cultivating a spirit of gratitude. Um, being around other depressed people can also uh, wear off on you, not that you shouldn't be around them, but you want to be careful to encourage them and not let them bring you down, not that they're doing that intentionally, but sometimes depression can breed depression. So if you're around someone that, that does a lot of negative uh critical speaking, be aware that that can have an effect on you, especially if you have a sensitive spirit. Um, there's also a phenomenon that is called painful thinking. And this is alluded to by the Minnerts Meyer Clinic, uh, which is a well-known um, and highly respected Christian mental health clinic. Um, they have, uh, their, their founders have written many books that you may be familiar with. I'd like to briefly explain this phenomenon to you um, called painful thinking um, that is a cause of depression. So according to Maris Meyer, painful thinking can cause depressed people to be introspective in a way that's very self-defeating. So they blame themselves for everything. Um, The person can agonize over past mistakes and ruminate about the what-ifs and the if-onlys, and they'll frequently wallow in guilt even when they've been maybe even totally innocent in a situation. Um, So this this person can also take an exaggerated view of his or her problems. Um, they condemn themselves and they condemn other people um, for those problems. And in the vast majority of cases, um, this person feels completely helpless and boxed in by his or her problems. And his perception of those problems is usually drastically out of proportion to reality. So there again is that, that perception, that perspective that gets distorted Um, from depression. So a person with painful thinking is usually very pessimistic. We've all been around pessimists and we know that they're they're looking at the glass as being half empty, um, which uh, can be challenging for a realist who sees sees things kind of basically just for how they are and for an optimist who sees the, the glass as being half full. Being around pessimists can, can often, um, you know, cause a person to be drugged down into that same pessimism. Um, Painful thinking people are often distrustful. They think everybody's out to say a mean word to them. Nobody's trustworthy. They're usually angry and preoccupied with their own resentments and 
and emotional pain, uh, very self-focused uh, to the extent that this person's concentration and attention and memory can be impaired. So these people tend to be angry about the past, negative about the present, and gloomy about the future. That's kind of a summary uh, of a painful thinking person. This person is convinced that his problems um, are caused by others and that the internal pain is destined to go on forever. So there's a real uh, lack of hope again. Uh, and once again, you know, the hope deferred makes the heart sick. So a person who's caught up in this usually loses all motivation and interest in enjoyable activities and avoids people and kind of has self-imposed isolation, which only serves to really increase his pain and bitterness about the depression. Um, so these people tend to be the ones that, that wind up candidates for contemplating suicide in worst-case scenarios. Um, so as you can see, this is a vicious cycle and one that's often extremely difficult to break out of. And when you're in a pit that deep, it's crucial that you allow someone else the privilege to help you out of that pit. And don't try to think that you can climb up out of it on your own successfully. Um, Returning real briefly to a couple more causes of depression as we um, as we wind up today, um, too much stress can lead to distress, which eventually leads to depression. So excessive stress can decrease our body's natural hormone DHEA, which is a hormone that actually protects us from the negative effects of stress. And even doing a lot of good works can be stressful. So you might be a person that's very involved in ministry in your church, for example. And that's all well and good, but remember that any type of extra work can lead to uh, an overly busy schedule, uh, too many commitments, a lack of boundaries and being able to say no when requests are made of you to be involved in more projects. And so God is always more interested in an intimate relationship with us than he is in, in all the works that we can do in service to him. And yes, those works are very important, and I don't want to minimize them at all, but they are the natural result of our love for our Savior, and that love is developed in relationship with him, in time spent at his feet. So be beware of this mentality, I guess, if you will, that, that's within many church bodies that um, if you're not involved in, in many ministries that somehow you're you're not as pleasing to the Lord as someone who, who doesn't spend as much time in service. Service is extremely important, but it should never take the place of spending time in the Father's presence, getting to know him at deeper levels. So um, at this point, I'd like to uh, wrap us up for, for this broadcast and um, really kind of just bring things to a close by mentioning one last sort of cultural cause, if you will, for um, a slippery slope into depression. And and this is the whole concept of modern conveniences, um, including the cell phone or the tablet or the computer that you're probably using to listen to this broadcast right now. These these things and technology are can be very good and and generally speaking they're they're neutral, but but when um, things become so easy for us that we no longer have to do any work to get a hold of, of what we need, um, that can kind of set us up for a mentality of entitlement and that 
you know, the creature comforts of this life can, can lead us into kind of a lazy lifestyle. And the less you do, the less you want to do. And that, too, can lead into um, negative mindsets, which can eventually result in depression if, if it gets to an extreme level. One example of this is, um, you know, some things really just are, are so easy for us. It's, it's almost comical. Take, for example, television. Um, 35 years ago, we couldn't even imagine <laughs> purchasing a television set that had a remote control. Um, that they didn't exist to 35 to 40 years ago. Um, we were getting up and changing the channels the old-fashioned way and having to, to stand up, walk to the television, and change the channel. And we were fine with that. We were happy to have a TV. But, of course, now <laughs> picturing buying a television set that doesn't have a remote is unthinkable and probably not even possible unless you're visiting a vintage antique store. So this is just one example of how creature comforts and instant gratification can really breed within our society and our culture this idea of, um, you know, having having instant access and not having to work for it, which can contribute to low mood or depression. So just to keep that in mind as we go through our, our day during the year 2018 and uh, just hoping that 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 this show today has has ministered to you. Um, remember that our relationship with with others are, is so important. And if you are going through depression, you know your your tendency is to want to isolate yourself, and that's the actually the last thing that you should be doing because that human contact is what can help pull you out of a low place, of a low mood, and. And in actuality, um, if we look at newborn infants, how we're wired when we're born, if you don't touch or hold a baby for a period of time after they're born, they can actually, um, you know, go into a, a mode where where they they kind of turn inward and, and they can actually die. And this is a phenomenon known as failure to thrive. So that just goes to show how our Lord and Creator designed us for relationship, that even as infants, newly birthed, that we need and crave that relational interaction with other human beings. So with that, um, I think that we will uh, wrap up at this time, as that's all the time we've got left for tonight. And I want to thank you so much for listening this evening. I hope you'll join me again in two weeks for the next broadcast, which is going to be part two in this three-part series on depression. Um, in two weeks, we'll be looking at hope in depth, and we'll also be looking at some of the reasons that God allows suffering in our lives and how to stand firm during the trials that we have to walk through. If you'd like to contact me directly at Healing Word, which is my private practice, please feel free to call 414-254-9862 or visit my website at www.healing-word.com. Thank you very much, and God's richest blessings be upon you.